Good morning. All right, I know I ate a lot of food for Thanksgiving, but I think y'all can get better. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, uh, as Matt mentioned, my name is Alex. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I am a senior psychology major at Truett, and God has blessed me to do life with this wonderful young lady. So, obviously, I need your prayers now, but when we leave today, she needs your prayers going forward. So, I found out this morning that I was preaching, and what we're going to be looking at is a passage. It's, we're going to take a break from Romans, and we're going to look at Philippians, because in Next Gen, we've been walking through the book of Philippians, and so for those of you who are Next Gen, you're going to hear a similar version of this on Wednesday. I'm sorry. So, before I start, when I preach in Next Gen, I like to affirm that God's, like we talked about how good God is, I want, like to affirm this, but I do it a little bit different, because the standard is, I say, God is good, you respond, okay, well, let's look at some of those times, if you, I'm going to say a phrase, if you agree with it, and you say, God is still good in those times, say it back to me, all right, God is good, when things are going well, when things are going poorly, Yep. When I'm standing on a mountaintop, when I'm standing in a valley, all the time. Amen. All right. So we are going to, as I said, look at Philippians. It's first nine verses of Philippians 4, so I'll give you a little bit of time to go ahead and turn there, and we'll read there in just a second. But I personally love this passage. Um, as Matt mentioned, and I've would certainly echo, I've walked through depression before, and God has used this passage to faithfully pull me out of so many of those things, because it's so easy to get lost in all the things life throws at you, and God gives us a solution for how we are to combat that here. So, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to go ahead and stand, and we're going to listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to, God, known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You all be seated. So the first point is that we have to encourage each other to stand firm in the Lord. We see Paul, that's what he starts with this section, is encouraging them to stand firm. And the reason we have to encourage each other is because we live in a time in a world where mental illness and other things like that are running rampant. Some of the just off-the-top statistics, 20% of American adults struggle with anxiety. 
that's one in five. 29% have been diagnosed with depression, a number that's up 10% higher than 2015, which is just only eight years ago. We haven't even taken a census since then. You look at the end goal of like what, where depression, anxiety, and all that lead, suicides are astronomical right now. 48,000 suicides just in the last year. They're an average of 132 every day. It is paramount that we as a body of believers stand firm with each other. We see Paul said he's, I would hate to be called out for not, for having a disagreement by Paul, but Paul's saying to these two people, be unified because we have to stand firm against what Satan tries to throw at us because all of these different things are going to pull us away from him. And one of the ways we do that is in our next point is that we have to find joy in the Lord. There are so many things throughout the world that are supposed to provide us joy. There's so many things that Satan tries to tell you, oh, this will make you happy, and that will make you happy. And the problem is the world doesn't provide us lasting joy. The world provides us sin cleverly disguised as joy. That's point number two. So the second one is we have to be known as being reasonable. The word reasonable, I looked at it, and of course it means fair and equitable, right? That you're not, like what's one of the things that they dinged tax collectors on was that tax collectors could collect, they were provided to collect some for Caesar, some for the temple, I believe, and then they could collect what they needed to live off of. The problem is, when you give a sinful human the ability to, to determine what they need to live off of, they take as much as they think they can. And so reasonableness is the opposite. Reasonableness is just taking enough to be able to live off of. We look at the story of the Good Samaritan. We see eat, there's two different people, both the priest and the Levite, that they should be the ones that come along and provide for this person and take care of this person in their time of need, and yet it's the Good Samaritan that exemplifies that mild and gentle aspect of it. And so we as a church have to ask ourselves a question, which of the people in that story are we when people come to us in times of need? When I think about reasonableness, uh, thought comes a story I've heard about my grandfather. And like in every small town, there's the lawyer, there's the banker, there's the house builder guy. Like we have each of these people in the community. And my grandfather was the banker. And there was a coach of, he'd played professionally as a basketball player, and now he'd come back home as a coach. And the problem was, he was very undisciplined with his money. He and his wife had rung up credit card debt, but they wanted to buy a house because they wanted to start a family, which is a very reasonable goal. Problem was, they, were, they needed to get a loan to build the house. And they knew my grandfather was reasonable. They knew he would be fair. And so they went to my grandfather, and they said, hey, we want to get a loan. And, of course, my grandfather knew that it probably wasn't the great, like, just on the surface, it wasn't the greatest of ideas to give them the loan. But my grandfather wanted to help them. And so what he did was he said, all right, I will sign the loan, but give me your credit cards. 
And so, of course, they gave him the credit cards, and he cut up the credit cards in front of them and then still signed the loan. And the thing is, we talk, it says, let your reasonableness be known among others. I didn't hear that story from my grandfather. I heard that story from the coach talking about this is the kind of man your grandfather is. And so we as the church have to make sure that when people come to us, when they're struggling, when they have times of need, that they get that loving, fair, gentle restoration, not people who are looking down from a holy hill, judging them for just being a mirror of who we all used to be. All right, so I mentioned anxiety. And the reason I mentioned all those statistics is the, third, the last point we're going to deal with is that we have to focus on the known instead of the unknown. And I said, obviously, I deal in the world of psychology. We draw a distinction between fear and anxiety. And we try, like people will use them interchangeably, and they are, in essence, the same reactions. It's the same symptoms with a different cause. Fear is of a specific stimulus. I said that word wrong. So, for example, I hate snakes. I will always preach the enmity in Genesis 3. We should just not have snakes. But if there's a snake in the room, it's a specific stimulus to make me afraid. That's fear. It's fearing the known. Anxiety is the opposite. Anxiety is the fear of the unknown. And so we see other places in the Bible, I think it's in Proverbs, that it says, the beginning of knowledge is to fear the Lord. So fear is commanded. Anxiety is not. The problem is, in order to have correct fear, we have to fear God. We have to fear what we know about God. And Paul's prescription on how we combat anxiety is found in verse 6, and it says, Do not be anxious in anything, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the first thing we have to do is we know through, we just sang several songs about what Jesus did for us, because we now have the ability to enter the throne room of God. Before, God could not coexist with us. Our sin kept us separate from being able to be in communion with God. But God chose to send his son to dissolve that border, to allow us into the throne room. And when we come into the throne room, we give everything that's worrying us to God. Everything we're worried about with family, everything we're worried about with work, everything we're worried about with bills, all that stuff, we give all of that to God. We let God deal with that because he's the only one that can. And what we are commanded to do is obsess over the known. We give all the unknown to God and we just focus on the known because we see Paul tells us that we need to meditate on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. That that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be so laser-focused on what God has told us to focus on that now we don't even notice the unknown because all we notice is the known. 
my wife, I have ADHD in case you can't tell. It's not great. But I, when I get focused on something, like I will not focus, not focus, not focus, and then focus on one specific thing. And so that's what we have to do, is just get that laser direct focus on one specific thing. And Paul tells us that that's where your peace comes from. When we're battling anxiety, when we're battling things that are trying to pull us in a hundred different directions, all of these things are trying to make it so that we don't have the ability to have peace. Focusing on the known is what gives us that peace. So, as we go throughout life, Christmas time is busy. It's a ton of different obligations. There's a ton of different things you're trying to go to. There's a ton of different, like, you got to remember all the presents. You got to remember who all's coming and where you're supposed to be. And my wife handles where I'm supposed to be because I can't remember where I'm supposed to be. But all of these things make it so that it gets really easy to focus on the unknown. But we have to stand firm with each other. And then from there, we then are able to, as a unit, a united front, stand firm in what God has told us to do. We're able to combat anxiety. We're able to combat depression. Because all of these things, we're now encouraging value and all of those, the true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. All these things we're encouraging and encouraging and producing in each other. And then from there, that's how our reasonableness will be known to all. And so we can be able to, yeah. So then that will be allow us to go outside of these walls and reach the community. Because it's so easy to just get caught up in what's going on with me. So if you are struggling with it, if you're struggling with being busy, with struggling with anxiety, I would encourage you to get into the Word. Just lean into what God has, has in there to show you, and then don't be afraid to ask any of us to help to be pray for you. When I know several of these people in here, they've asked, hey, how are you doing? It's like, there's a days that it's just not great. I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like going outside. I don't feel like doing any of that. But it's through the encouragement of others and fixating on the known that allows me to get through it. I'm going to pray for us, and then Matt's going to come up and sing. Dearly Father, thank you so much that I'm no longer bound by everything that I failed you in. I'm no longer bound by the consequences of my sin. Thank you, Father, that your Son made it so that I now get to enter communion and relationship with you. Father, I pray as we go throughout this busy season, Father, that you would allow us to still be diligent to make time to lean into you, to take care of each other, and that we would be able to glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.